We're talking right now about gospel confrontation, the fact that oftentimes within the gospel ministry, within our lives as believers, we need to be confronted and sometimes we need to confront others. It's often a ministry that is lacking in a church or it's done very poorly where somebody thinks it's their ministry to constantly confront somebody. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about people who enjoy confrontation uh, enjoy uh, picking arguments or picking people apart with uh, unnecessary, judgmental, self-righteous, pharisaical type criticism. That, that's not what we're talking about. But oftentimes it is lacking in the church of God when it comes to confronting people and sin. When they're not doing uh, something properly, or in accordance with the gospel, a life lived in accordance with the gospel, uh, it's, it's our responsibility to go to them and to uh, speak gospel truth, and sometimes it's the other way around. We saw last week that Peter is having a struggle with his old way of thinking. And we talked about the difference between the, the Mosaic law that we are no longer under and there were people who wanted to revert back to that, to go back to the Old Covenant, to go back to the Old Testament, live under the old legal code, and impose that on, on Christians. And Paul has a, a big issue with that. Because we are no longer under the Mosaic Law. We are under the Law of Christ. And there is a big difference. The Old Testament that we hold in our hands, some of us, some of us have iPads and phones, but the Mosaic Law is not the whole Old Testament. When we're talking about the Mosaic Law, we're talking about the law that was specifically given to, specifically given to Israel as a code of ethics, a code of morality, a code of law that they were to follow. It is a bit confusing because the whole Old Testament is named after the Mosaic Law. So when we talk about the books in the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament, or we call it the Old Covenant. But the whole thing is not the Old Covenant, but it contains the Old Covenant. Uh, I want to take some time to go through uh, talking about the, the law, uh, the Mosaic Law versus the New Covenant again in order to clarify some things in our minds, because this is so important that we understand. I want to talk specifically about four different things in regard to the Old Testament law and the new covenant that we are under now. Jesus Christ gave us a new code. He gave us a new law. It's a truly new law. The old law has been thoroughly and completely wiped away. Be like a co-owner of a business telling the employees, listen, I have a manager who's coming, and he is going to give you the code that I want you to have, the law that I want you to have as employees, and I want you to follow it. But someday there's going to come my co-owner. And the co-owner is going to come, and he's going to give you the final manual or the completely new law, the completely new code. And that's exactly what we have with Jesus. Moses was the manager. 
And he gave us a manual, a, a code of conduct. He gave it to the people of Israel. But when Jesus comes along, he is the co-owner. And he gives us a completely new law. He gives us a completely a new covenant, a new code of conduct. Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses was uh, simply a type and shadow of Christ, the great lawgiver to come. Just as Jesus is the greater David. We would say there's similarities with their kingship. We would even call Jesus Christ, obviously the scripture does, the son of David. But he's greater than David. He's also greater than Aaron. He is the great and final high priest. So we don't go to Aaron as our high priest. We, we don't go back to David as our king. And we definitely don't go back to Moses as our lawgiver. Jesus Christ is our lawgiver. In other words, what we're talking about when we say that uh, Jesus is not Moses' interpreter, we mean that he was not inferior to Moses, and he was not, Jesus was not just rehashing the old covenant and giving it back to us again in a regurgitated form. Jesus doesn't give us the old covenant, kind of rehash it, rework it, and then all of a sudden give us this, this covenant that is basically a reworked old covenant. That's not the case. So Moses was pointing to one who would come who would give us a new manual, a new law, a new code, a new ethic. There are identical laws in both. We've, we've noticed this. For instance, in the old law that says you shall not murder. That's also part of the new law. You shall not murder. So there are similarities. It's like somebody saying to the co-owner, well, there's similarities in this manual that was given to us by the manager. It must be the same. We say, no, there are similarities, but it is a new manual. It is a completely new code. It's a new law. It is a completely new system of law. But there are similarities. In fact, there are identical laws in both. You're not allowed to steal under the new covenant. You can't say, well, Moses taught you shouldn't steal, and so therefore that's old, and now I'm going to steal all I want. No, Jesus also taught us in his code, in his ethic, as the final lawgiver, he taught us that it was wrong to steal. But we notice that the manual is different. We notice that the law is different. We say, wait a second, there are things that are missing here. There are laws that Moses gave under God's authority that we don't have to follow. For instance, the Sabbath, we talked about that last week, and that's why we say this is a whole new thing. Even though there are similarities and there are identical laws, this is a truly new code. This is a truly new manual, and so there are things that Christ tells us that are brand new, and there are things that he has deleted. We talked about food laws that were given and, and uh, ceremonial laws that were given, and all of these things could somehow be categorized under morality or under moral laws, but Jesus came and he gave us a brand new law. You say, well, how is it new? Well, it's new that their final and fulfilled form, that is these laws, came through the final lawgiver, that is Christ. That's new. It's a new lawgiver with a new code. Look with me at John chapter 13, if you would, in your Bibles. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 34. 
John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus doesn't say, listen, you're, you're without commandments. You don't have to listen to any commandments anymore. You just kind of do whatever you want, and we're lawless people. Can I just stop here and just say that there is a, there is a, a movement right now that it really emphasizes grace to an over-exaggerated point. And what I mean by that is you can't over-exaggerate true grace, but there are people who are teaching something to the effect of, listen, when you come into the kingdom, God gives you grace, now just go live any way you want. That's not grace. I've heard people call it sloppy agape, sloppy love and easy grace, easy sleazy grace. We just, uh, we just continue on in sin. Paul said, listen, may, may it never be. And so when Jesus comes, he doesn't just say, oh, there's no commandments. Jesus is not this pushover that uh, th this is just a God. You can just kind of do whatever you want. He's a, a blind grandfather in the sky who has no clue what's, what's going on. Jesus is just sitting up there, and uh, he's just kind of overlooking our sin and saying no big deal. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, when Jesus came, he gave us the fulfillment of Moses, the great lawgiver. So Jesus didn't say no more law, but he says, I am the fulfillment. I am, I am the, the preeminent one. I am the one that Moses was pointing to. Moses was simply a type and shadow of my ministry. Uh, he was pointing to me, the one who is going to give you the final form of the law. And that's what we're under today. Jesus says this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give you. Now, who can have the authority to say that? We often blow right by that text and we just kind of, well, that's, that's normal to us. But Jesus is saying, listen, a new commandment I, I give you. That you love one another. Now, wait a second. It was in the Old Testament that you love one another. Yes, but this is a new lawgiver and this law comes with the new code. That's what he's saying. New lawgiver, final lawgiver, and this law that is similar, that is identical to other laws that we see even in the Old Testament, comes to us in this new covenant, this new manual that he gives us. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Love each other. No, love is, that's the ultimate law. Jesus said that's what fulfills all the laws. That's the great law for us, to love God. It's not just this warm, fuzzy feeling toward God. Yeah, I love God. I, I really know how to sing the songs, and I even know how to wave my hands uh, in the air to the Lord. That's all well and good. But have you surrendered to him? Have you given up your life? And I, I, I don't mean you just say, well, I'm going to give him my job. I'm saying your way of thinking, the rebellion, the, the sense of I'm going to do things on my own. I've been a self-lover. Now I'm going to love God. That's what it means to love God. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of my life. I really give up my life to him in full surrender to him. And, of course, we do that at the beginning of salvation, but then we realize we need to do that over and over again. Lord, I, I surrendered fully, but I recognize there's there's still things I need to surrender more in my life. And that's the heartbeat of a Christian. Lord, would you take this from me? God, would you change me? There are things in my life that I'm not measuring up to the law of love. I'm not measuring up to this commandment to love you. And Jesus, as he says here, he says, love one another. That is, give yourself up for one another. 
this idea of selfishness, being concerned for ourselves, consumed for ourselves, our plans, our desires. Nobody gets in the way of that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And people bump us and they, they come against us and they shake us up in all the ways that we don't like. And so we begin to say, well, there must be something wrong with all of them and not me. And so oftentimes we trade other people for other people. And then we realize, wait, we have those same problems. And we recognize that we just take them wherever we go, whether it's a, a marriage or whether it's with children or whether it's a business relationship. All these people, they're just horrible people to work with. Well, maybe there are some tough people to work with. But there's going to be tough people in the next job too. And uh, relationships are tough. I don't know if it's just me, but if you've ever had a tough time with children, it's tough. Children have a tough time with parents. It's tough. And so the question is, what, what do you do in these situations? And this is why Jesus came and he said, listen, here, here's the final law. Here's the ultimate law. Give yourself up. Decrease. Let other people increase. Serve them. Think what is, what is best for them. And if you do these things, if you love God by giving yourself up and really loving him, really give yourself up by really loving your husband or really loving your wife, just give yourself up. Giving yourself up for your children, giving yourself up for your coworkers, giving yourself up so people see a radical difference. He had these rights. She had these rights to do these things, and yet she didn't take them. Why was that? Not demanding, demanding, my rights, my rights, my rights. It's about me, me. They offended me. And listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you. And that's supernatural because th that doesn't come naturally to any of us. And we're so consumed with self, such an idol. And Jesus knows if he obliterates that, he, he obliterates everything. You'll obey the whole law. You'll obey all his commands, or at least you'll, you'll want to. That's what your love will be. If you get these two to right, everything hangs on these laws. And so, yeah, there's, there's repetition, but the difference is it comes under a new lawgiver and it comes under a new code. That's what makes it new. It's not like, oh, we've never heard this before. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, but it's like it was under the manager. Now it's under the owner's code. And so there's a big difference. There was Moses. Now there's Jesus. There was this code, but now you're under this code. And it's very dangerous when we try to mix these, these two codes up. And that's why people say, well, you say you shouldn't murder, but it also says that you can stone your kids, you know. So are you going to obey that one? It's a very simple answer. We're not under the old covenant. Well, you're going you're gonna to wear, uh, you know, a shirt with two different kinds of threads, you know, talks about that in the Bible too. Is that, and I've seen blogs like this. And people act like this is this huge conundrum of what we're going to follow. And Jesus comes along and says, listen, that was a specific code given to a specific people for a specific time that has now been fulfilled in Christ. And he gives us, he gives us a brand new code. He gives us a brand new law. He gives us a brand new ethic. And the ultimate ethic that he gives us is the law of love. And so we see this old law even in the new law. And it seems like there's this kind of confusion, but as we begin to think through this and process it, we go, oh, we understand what he's talking about. In fact, 1 John tells us this, 
this kind of idea gives us this kind of language in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, if you flip over there, 1 John chapter 2, First John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. First John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Notice John is kind of wrestling with this whole idea of old commandment, new commandment. What do you mean? I see, I see it in both kind of thing. He says, Beloved, I, I'm writing you no new commandment. This is an old commandment. He's saying, you've heard this one before. This is, this is all in the Old Testament. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of creation. From the beginning of the Sinaitic covenant with Moses. It was in there as well. In the whole Old Testament we see this. But an old commandment, you say, well, where do you see that in the beginning with Adam and Eve? Well, Adam didn't love Eve properly. He didn't lead her. And uh, Eve did not properly uh, follow her husband. We see this whole problem from the very beginning. There was a lack of love. She didn't love him properly. He didn't love her properly. And then this law of love is given to us later on, again, specifically with Moses. And John is saying, I'm writing to you. An old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. And so he says, you've heard this before. It's come in various ways through the Old Testament and through the prophets. Then he says this. At the same time, it is a new commandment. Well, that's confusing. What's he, what's he saying? He's saying, well, there was this commandment, but it was given under the old code. And he's saying you're still supposed to follow it under the new code, under the new lawgiver. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So again, we see this idea of old and new. We could also say that the uh, root meaning or, or the motive in the case of identical laws is the same. So the root meaning of thou shall not steal in the Ten Commandments is the same as when Christ tells us not to steal. There's, there's no difference. In fact, we can find the same motive. It comes from the same God. We get the same understanding. Listen, lust was wrong in the Old Testament. I think that Jesus came and said, listen, um, everybody in the Old Testament was allowed to lust as much as they wanted to. As long as they didn't finally commit the physical act, the bodily act of adultery. Of course not. So we can see in the Old Testament exactly these things. It means the same thing. It is just that Jesus is giving more. He's taking the law to a newer height so it's clear in our mind, so we really get it. So we don't use the old covenant in some ways as an excuse. Well, I'm, I, I've heard men say this. Well, I'm not going to actually commit the, the act, but I'm going to look. And when they say look, they're not talking about just noticing a beautiful woman. By the way, there's nothing wrong with noticing somebody's beautiful. That's not lust. 
noticing somebody's handsome. Those, that, that's not what lust is. That, that's given to us. That's ingrained in us by, by God. But lust takes it to, to a, a new level. And Jesus is saying, listen, I, I want you to understand it's not just the physical act. It's not just you saying, well, at least I, I didn't go to bed with her. It's not saying that. Jesus is saying when, when, you're, when you're doing things in your mind on purpose, and let me just stop here to say this too. Sometimes things come in our mind. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You're like, where did that thought come from? And you're like, get out, thought. And um, and listen, that that is part of us all. And if you have ever dealt with that, you're not abnormal or you're not strange. But we're talking about intentional. And by the way, sometimes it's just our own sin nature, the fact that we are still in the flesh and we have these thoughts and it's like, I don't want these thoughts. And they're alien thoughts. They're alien to the new nature that Christ has given to us. Sometimes it's the enemy planting thoughts in our minds, the most horrible thoughts in our minds. And he even has the ability to make it think, make you think it's your thoughts. And that's scary. And that's where oppression comes in. And so somebody's beginning to be under the oppression of the enemy. They can even be a believer. And they're having all these terrible thoughts in their mind. They're going, where are these thoughts coming from? I don't want to think them. Or they begin to think, I am thinking this. This is all, this is all me. Where's that coming from? Well, it could be. It could be coming from the enemy. But Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about, you want it, man. You're going after it. You like thinking about these things. And you're going back to it over and over again in your mind. You think you're safe because you're in, in your own mind thinking these things. Same thing he says with murder. He's making these clear. He's giving us this new code. He's saying, Moses was the manager. I'm the owner. This is why we go to Christ. Nothing wrong with, with uh, seeing things in the old covenant, but we go to Christ. He says with murder, same thing. I tell you, if you even get angry, angry with your brother. Whoa, that's a, that's a huge commandment. And uh, we would even say that there are things such as righteous anger and all, all of these different kinds of things. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about not handling somebody properly and then, and then blaming them. You made me angry. You made me angry. Did you know no one ever made you angry, ever? It's not what Jacob says, James, in the New Testament. He says we get angry because of what's going on inside of us. The other night at um, Vacation Bible School, there was a very, from what I heard, angry man outside. Very angry. Irate. And I didn't see this. I didn't even know about it till later. But Frank went out there and diffused the, the situation with gentleness. And uh, it, Alan as well. They were both gentle. And it was their gentleness that diffused the situation in, in minutes. And it took a little bit, uh, took a while. In fact, the, I was told that I, after the confrontation, the guy asked Frank, he said uh, something along the lines of, who are you and uh, are you a pastor or something like that? And Frank said, yeah, I'm one of the co-pastors over at the church. And the guy's reaction uh, face kind of, kind of dropped like, uh-oh, maybe I shouldn't have been cursing you out like crazy. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
So th- this is what this is what Jesus is talking about, and th- this is what we're we're trying to understand. You say, but I see that in the law of Moses, it's it's the same. I see the same thing. Yeah, but it's under a new lawgiver, under a new manual. That's the point. It's under a new code, and we don't go back to the old code. We see the new code with all of its deletions and with all of its additions, and we say this thing is new. I don't know if most of us would remember. You remember phone books? I remember phone books for many, many years. You you needed somebody's phone number. You'd actually go, weird, you'd go look in a book. And you'd open that thing up, and uh, it was huge. And you'd find somebody's name and look across. And every year, they would deliver, oh, what a joyous day it was, the new phone book. True. Many of you don't remember that, but but we do. And lo and behold, it would get fatter and fatter because there were new names. You say, well, is this the same thing as the old phone book? Well, it's still a code. It still gives us names and numbers, but it's new. It's new. There's additions. There's deletions. People moved out of the area. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the law. Yes, there's new things, but it's a new code. It's a it's a new law. And we can still uh, use uh, the old covenant for example and and illustration, but it needs to be properly understood in its proper context. So as we were talking about the other night, if we go to Jesus and he says um, something about sexual sin. We can use the Old Covenant as, as an example. You're not allowed to sleep with your sister, your brother, your cousin. You say, ooh, that's gross. Listen, the, the further we get away from God and uh, the word of God, the more weird we're going to get in our society and people are going to call it normal. Listen, if you want to be normal, be a Christian. If you want to be normal and be real, be a Christian. If you want to get stranger and more bizarre by the day, reject Jesus Christ with all of your heart and follow your own standards. That's what's bizarre. And so when Jesus is uh, giving us this code, he gives it to us, but we can also look in the old code to use wonderful illustrations and wonderful examples so that we see this clear picture. So Peter's struggling with all of this. And the temptation for Peter is he was raised in this. He was raised under the old phone book. He he was raised under the old manual. And Jesus comes, and think about this, he's a church leader. He's a preeminent church leader. He's a godly man. He's walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He's been listening to Jesus. Jesus has restored him. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit and the new covenant experience on the day of Pentecost. He's given the Pentecostal preeminent sermon of his life as thousands of people came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Peter is still struggling. Isn't it amazing that even some of God's choicest servants still have their struggles? This is why we never say that anybody is above confrontation, Anybody is above being questioned. You reach a certain point in your life where you, you're no longer questioned. And we have this even in ministry today where some preachers are seen as 
the anointed one, the untouchable one, the one who doesn't, doesn't struggle. And yet pastor leaders are just as broken as everybody else. I assure you of that. I heard somebody recently say that people love pastors saying they're broken. They're broken until they do something that's broken. And then they act like everybody else. And that's what Peter's doing here. Peter's not just an elder in a church. He's an apostle. And he's in the inner circle. This whole idea of, oh, there's Peter, the, the guy who's way up there. I, I get a very strong sense. I know this just from reading the Bible. If Peter was to walk in here, he'd be a normal man. Normal. Normal clothes on. Normal guy. Not walking on air. Not in this unquestioned phase of life. I've reached the pinnacle of spirituality. In fact, the further we get uh, into Christ, the more we see our sin. We don't go, oh, wow, the further I get into the Lord, the more I recognize how wonderful I am. No. The further we get into Christ, the, the weaker we really realize we are. And when a pastor says that, when he says he's weak or when he says he's broken, he shouldn't just be saying that. Oh, I'm just weak and I'm broken. No, he should be saying that out of his own experience. Peter definitely was. You think about Saul or Paul? You want to talk about a broken guy? Beating people up, throwing people in prison, consenting to murder? This is who we're associated with. This is a ragtag bunch of Christians. There are no popes. There are no modern-day super apostles. That whole myth needs to go. The anointed one who just slays everybody in the spirit and who just can get everybody worked up into a frenzy, and we call it the move of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about true power, true godliness. Here's old Peter, and uh, he needs to be confronted because even after, after all of his experiences with Christ, after all of his experiences with Christ, he's still struggling with this stuff. And he sees the freedom that the Gentiles have. Gentiles, you can eat what you want. And when he's in Antioch, he's serving it up. Let's have Thanksgiving meal together. I'll eat whatever you want, and we'll just have a great time. And all of a sudden, the circumcision party shows up from Jacob in the church of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, Peter acts completely different. He's one way over here, but as soon as he gets around another crowd of people, he's completely different. He's, he's completely changed. How hypocritical. That's the problem, and that's what... Paul is going to confront him on is this issue of hypocrisy. You act like this way in front of the Gentiles. They're all your friends. You know how to sing the songs. You read the Bible with eloquence. You can quote verses. You even tell people about Jesus. But as soon as you get around this crowd over here, all of a sudden that's out the window. Are they looking good? Okay, now I can finally be me. Dangerous. Dangerous. Duplicitous life. That's what's going on with Peter here. 
Remember James, Jacob, again, James chapter 1, I believe? A double-minded man, literally in the Greek, a double-souled man, double-souled. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Unstable, like a ship, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This is what Jesus is hes looking for, men and women who are one way in public, one way in private. doesn't mean no sin. That's not what we're talking about. No, we're not talking about, we're talking about fallen Peters here. But we're talking about people who love Christ. And so there's, there's not this duplicity here. And so there was, a, there was a problem here because Peter's going, as we talked about last week, he's going back to old ways. And so there was a confrontation that was needed. Verse 11, just look at the verse with me real quick. We're going to finish this in five minutes, okay? So here we go. Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Sometimes God's leaders lose their way, and sometimes we need a Paul in our life. Sometimes we need a Paul that comes to us. Listen, sometimes we need a Paul that comes to us and says, you're going the wrong way. Sometimes we need a Paul. And sometimes we're called to be Paul. You have to, you have to go to somebody. You have to say, begin to talk to them. Sometimes we need a Paul. Sometimes we're called to be Paul. Which is harder? But there was this condemning hypocritical conduct, verse 12, that we just noted. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when, uh, but when they came, he drew back. Oh, not eating with you guys anymore. That's hypocrisy. One way with this group, another way with a different group. And separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, here it is, acted hypocritically. The, the idea in the Greek here is they put on a mask. That's what it means to be a hypocrite, to be an actor. So here with the Jews, I have this on, mask on, and take that mask off, throw that away, and when I'm, when I'm over here with the Gentiles, I act a totally different way. So that even Barnabas, you get, this, you get the feeling here, even poor Barnabas, even Barnabas, even Barney, was even poor, even Barney. That's the sense here. Even Barney gets, can you believe Barney? Can you, can you believe Barnabas? Even Barnabas. Another leader. So here are the leaders of the church, folks. This is, the, this is your leaders. You know, this isn't like, Somebody who just comes to church once in a while or something. These are the guys everybody is looking to for leadership. And these are the guys, Peter and Barney, Pete and Barney, who are being led astray. What do you do? The leaders are being led astray. The leaders are being hypocritical. You need a Paul. And sometimes Paul needed a Peter. And sometimes he needed a Barnabas and a James, and they needed each other. We need each other. This is, this is the work of the church. So he says that they were all being led astray by this hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... 
Here's, here's the critical concern for, for Paul. The, the gospel was at stake. The gospel was at stake. Is it eating certain foods plus Jesus? Is it being circumcised plus Jesus that we get right with God? Is it dressing certain ways plus Jesus, eating certain foods plus Jesus, associating with certain people plus Jesus, or is it really Jesus only? Jesus only. Can I encourage you to listen to a song this week? I've been listening to it a lot lately. It's called Jesus Only by Casting Crowns. Jesus Only. I can't get enough of it. And I listen to it at Kingdom Mountain, and I, do, I mean, I think about tears. I, uh, um, you know, I get choked up thinking about it. Jesus Only. It's Jesus Only. talks about letting our reputation, our legacy, all these kind of things fade away and let Jesus Only let his name stand. It's not Jesus plus what you do that gets you in. Jesus doesn't say you really messed up and therefore you're kind of out, so you need to get back with it, get back into obedience, and then you'll be saved. Jesus is with us when we're acting like Peter. That's the grace. It's not what Peter's doing that's saving him. It's the grace of Christ that is saving him in spite of what he's doing. That's unbelievable. That he's saying, I'm going to work for you, Jesus. I'm going, to, I'm going to eat right food. I'm going to associate with the right people. And Jesus is saying, no, Peter, listen, I've already saved you. I've already saved you. Conduct. He says his conduct, his lifestyle was out of step with the gospel. So the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. And how we live, how we live, we need to be living in light of that gospel. We need to, as Paul says here, we need to be living in step with the gospel. So we're walking in step with the gospel. And as soon as we begin to get off track over here somewhere, somebody needs to come along and say, whoops, you're getting off track. And instead of being defiant, who are you to tell me, judgmental person, get off my back, that kind of stuff. If it's, if it's a gospel issue, we say, thank God there's somebody who loves me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Thank God somebody loves me. And so we, we walk along and we're, we're listening. And by the way, that was Peter's attitude. That was Peter's attitude. So it is, a, it is a life that is lived in accordance with the gospel. And by the way, there are threats right now today in the American church that are a threat to the gospel. And I don't have time today to go into it, but we're going to talk about, I'm praying about when to talk about it. But one of the major threats to the gospel right now is social justice. It's killing us. It's killing us. The idea of, of, of race relations and black and white relations. Listen, we need to talk frankly about these things. And, and I, I'm convinced if we, if we talk openly and we talk truthfully, it's attractive. Listen, I, I believe this. If we try to please the world on this issue, we're going to lose people. And I believe if we talk truthfully about this issue, we're going to gain white people and black people both. That's what I believe. And I've seen it in this church. We've had a multi-ethnic church in this church for as long as I've been here. And we, we got that way not because we had a special program for white people and a special program for black people and a special program for yellow people. We have a special program for people. 
And the program is Jesus. And we speak the truth regardless of if white people are offended or black people are offended. So we're going we're gonna to speak more ab about this in, in the coming days, and I believe God's going to grow his church as a result of it as opposed to decrease it. I believe that. I believe that's from the Lord. I believe that's from the Lord. So there was this threat in the church, and listen, it's threat after threat. Let me give you one other threat, and we're already going past time, but let me give you one other threat. For a long time when I was a kid, the threat in the church still rears its head all the time. But was this idea, this was a, a battle that was waged over the idea of you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, but later on you can accept him as your Lord. So you, you accept Jesus Christ over here and you say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and I want to go to heaven. Amen. And then you go out and you live like the devil. But you're saved. You got your ticket to heaven. You don't even care about heaven, but you're going there just in case there is one. And so you got your fire insurance. Well, at least I can say when I on that day I said the prayer. And then later on, for the really spiritual people who really want to get it right with Christ, you say, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. I'm going to make you Lord. There's even a problem with that phrase. And so there was a gospel war that was waged, and the Bible won. And the Bible says he's the Lord. And as Tozer said, when you receive Christ, you receive him in all of his offices. And so you receive him on the day of salvation as your Savior. And if you're a Christian, you also receive him as Lord. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches. Again, we need to talk more about that in the future. But this issue of social, social justice is, a, is, is one that is, is, is a major threat to the gospel. Major threat. And it's amazing how it's even couched in terms that, that um, uh, people are afraid to say, I don't want to be that I, I, for that. I don't want to be against social. That sounds good. Social justice? I don't want to be against that. Just like I don't want to be against pro-choice. I don't want to be against that or, or women's health care. See the problem? Okay. So, so we, 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 need to, we need to dig into this. But I, I want... I want to give you, in, in conclusion, I want to give you Peter's reaction to all this. Because he didn't write a book called, you know, First Pete, and say, I pronounce as the first pope of the Romish church, that how dare Paul oppose me? He didn't say that. There is a book called First Peter, and I'd like you to turn to the second one, which is Second Peter, so there's first and then there's Second Peter, and this is years later, and so we get we get the reaction of, of Peter to Paul. Here's what Peter says about Paul, verse 15 of Second Peter three. And count the patience of our Lord. As salvation. Here, here's how he refers to, to Paul. Just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. What love? What love? As he does in all his letters. Oh, that would include Galatians. As he does in all his letters when, he's, when he speaks in them of these matters. 
There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Paul is hard to understand, Peter's saying, in some areas, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own descript to their own destruction. Notice what he calls his letters, as they do the other scriptures. Whoa. You know what he's saying? He's saying what Paul wrote is the Bible. When he writes a letter, he's not just writing a letter. He's actually writing the very words of God. When he rebuked me in Galatians chapter 2, I'm so thankful for that rebuke because it wasn't just coming from Paul. It was coming from the Lord. That's what he's saying. This is unbelievable. He's saying you have uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the books, Deuteronomy of the Old Testament. And he's saying now you get in and you have Galatians and it's on par with them all. They're all the word of God. Paul's actually writing to you the very words of God, the scriptures. This is, this is powerful. And what Paul tells us is this. Listen, you're not under the old law. Oh, yeah, there's identical similarities and they can even be interpreted in the same way. But it's a new lawgiver, and it's a new code. That's the point. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. It is written. That's why we're here, to hear your, your voice. God, we, we ask you that you would speak to us as you did 36 years ago to Pastor Morgantini as he said, he has Jesus in his heart because of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you come and you change us. And you don't want us, you don't want us to, to uh, live thinking that we can live two different ways. But, Lord, when we come to you, we give you a, a united life. And we say to you, as David says in your word, the inspired word, unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, we look at our heart and we see our heart goes in all sorts of different directions all the time. Our hearts are, as the song says, prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Even as believers, we're wandering in our hearts. And God, we ask you that you would, you would unite our hearts today to fear your name. Calm us down again like you did with Peter over and over again. God, you are so kind to Peter, and you show in his life how you deal with us. You don't give an inch. You don't give an inch. You don't give an inch. You are holy. But you continue to come after us and pursue us when our heart is going all over the place. And we thank you that it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus only. Jesus only.